Your anthem, your 
Good morning, beloved. <laughs> I just love saying that. Good morning, beloved. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, worship team. That, uh, that was, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And I don't say beloved lightly. I, I consider you all family. And I know I haven't been here as much recently because of work and everything else, but thank you for being my family. I appreciate that. Um, Pastor David and Shirley couldn't be here. Uh, they had uh, a death in the family, so please be keeping them covered in, in prayer. And um, we just, um, yeah, we know that that's a tough season, but we also know that it's a celebration, a transition uh, into the glory with the Lord. And uh, so thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we get to celebrate people's life, uh, both here on earth and their, their promotion. So, Lord, we just uh, we bless them. May the Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, just comfort them and uh, just continue to guide and direct them uh, even while they're away. So, this morning we have a, a special guest, uh, Chuck Reber and his wife Linda are here with us. And Chuck, I haven't known that long, but when you have a kindred spirit, through the Holy Spirit, you start to recognize your family very quickly. 
and um, I appreciate them. We spent a lot of time together yesterday, and uh, we prayed together. I prayed for very specific things, even for me and my family now, and saw a breakthrough immediately. And so we're two or more gathered together. The Lord's there also, and the breakthrough comes. So I believe that for this house, and that's part of the reason that the Lord has had me stay, even while my family has gone ahead, is to see the breakthrough in this region, to see the breakthrough in each of your lives. And so I contend for that on a daily basis, on my own personal behalf, but on behalf of each of you and on behalf of this region. And that's, that's what's really been on my heart and my spirit um, I'd say the last couple months, particularly since I've been away at work and not been able to, to come and join in uh, the, the community worship time, is simply, Lord, what else do we need to do? We've been hearing men and women of God that have a specific word for us in this place. What have we done with that seed? Just like Dylan preached, what have we done with that seed? Are we keeping it in our pocket? Are we actually spreading it on the ground in a dark world out here. I mean, I work on the line by people that are on drugs, they're in abuse so much that they can hardly even hold the knife that they're carrying. But they're still at work. And I appreciate that. However, I want to see them set free. The words that have been prophesied that for this region are true and correct, and they will come to pass. I'm pressing into that to see that they happen, and they happen soon, and we get that ball rolling, that that seed that's been planted by these men and women of God does not fall on soil that's not prepared for it. Amen. So this man of God today will continue what's already been sown into us. He'll continue to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we're called to do as leaders, is to pour into the believers, to pour into those that are coming into the kingdom to truly be fishers of men. So I ask you, just open up your spirit this morning to receive, right from the throne room of grace, what Chuck's hearing. To receive, but then put your hand to the plow and don't look back. To be called faithful servants, to be called faithful <laughs> brethren. And to take it outside these walls, because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where the presence of God dwells. If we don't let it out, just like Dylan was saying, with our words, with our lips, if we don't let that out, it stays inside. It keeps our focus inward. But as soon as we start to praise, as soon as we start to release that outward, then all of a sudden we can see the manifestations of the things that the book of Acts talks about. Even greater works than these you shall do. But not until we release it. Not until we take our gaze from inward to outward. That's why he always says, look higher, look higher. Get your gaze up. Look higher. So I encourage you today as you're hearing this word, let it be received deep inside your spirit. And then let the Lord commission you. Commissioning is, is, is often used in a military sense. It's where you get promoted to a higher level of rank and responsibility. So I've been hearing that word for a while now, commissioning. So Lord Jesus, we just receive your commissioning for us today. We receive your commissioning to take that word that seed that's being planted inside of us by mighty men and women of God that have come from all over the world to this little place out in the middle of nowhere that you couldn't find unless you knew that you were supposed to be here. You don't just drive by it on the highway. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Lord, thank you 
for Chuck. I'm going to introduce him. I'm going to read a little bit about so you'll know more about him. He's been here a couple different times now. He was here yesterday. Uh, we spent four hours together doing some very specific things. So those of you that are interested in um, getting your own house prepared so that you can be a blessing to others, I encourage, I think that we recorded it yesterday, uh, so those that are interested, uh, we can uh, probably provide the DVD or get the recording. But um, I just encourage you, Chuck and his wife are a mighty couple of God, and they have been working for 38, nearly 39 years now in seeing the body of Christ equipped. Uh, they started out in the Baptist church, uh, have moved on to the Vineyard Movement. 20 of those years were in the Vineyard Movement. And it says, currently Chuck is a director of Prepare the Way Today Ministries, which he founded in 2009. He travels to churches, houses of prayer, and other ministries to equip people to understand the times relating to prophetic warnings, to understand God as a judge, for personal and community preparedness, and developing places of refuge. But to be a place of refuge, you first have to get this thing ready. You have to get this healed. You have to get it saved, healed, delivered, sozoed fully so that you actually have something to give to someone else. It's from that overflow that we can give to others. So let the Lord come, just like Dylan said, minister. During that time of worship, let it minister and heal that place so that you do have an overflow, an abundance that the Lord wants to provide us to give to others. Since Chuck's ministry as a preacher of the Word of God has been as a equipper, equipping the body of Christ to do the works of Jesus through healing the sick, ministering to the poor, deliverance ministry, worship and intercession, hearing God and understanding of the end times. Chuck's current ministry is focused on equipping the body of Christ to prophetically understand the times and develop practical strategies to respond to the coming prophesied events. It's a unique joining of prophetic ministry with analysis and projections of what is coming, coupled with the practical, how to prepare our homes and churches to reach the harvest in crisis. In the past several years, Chuck has given increased emphasis in his teaching on the urgency of raising up refuge places as communities of hope. Communities of hope, not just surviving, but thriving. Communities of hope in a dark world in times of crisis. Chuck and his wife, Linda, currently enjoy life in the foothills of West Virginia. Fellowship with family and friends, gardening, hunting, hiking, splitting wood, and just being with the Lord in the great outdoors. So thank you, Lord. He's a man that we can appreciate and a woman that we can appreciate here in North Carolina. So welcome, everyone. Chuck Reber. All right. One sows, one waters, but God gives the increase. So let's let him do that today. Amen. It's good to be at the gathering. Wish uh, Pastor David and Shirley could be here. Um, always kind of weird to preach at a place in the pastor he calls me on the way down here it's like hey i'm on the road we had a death in the family but uh pulpit's yours and i count that an honor and uh is dylan's exhortation there i just want to continue to lead in worship by preaching the word of god faithfully and calling our attention to it today my assignment from the lord has been to um equip call attention to the need of the hour in order to say places of refuge because there's an incredible opportunity the holy spirit is setting up, and the Lord is setting up in the nations of the earth, not just America, um, because of the the as things come together in the in the consummation of the ages, even for decades here, there is going to be um, lots of disruption coming, and I know it's been spoken of here, 
and um, you're a prophetic people in hearing kind of like the now word of the Lord and, and but, the, but it's not just the Lord saying this the the people that have ears to hear the trend watchers in financial world and the political realm and geophysical geopolitical realms and other things like that are all saying very thing they're echoing what the Lord has been warning about and we need to understand the context of the crisis and today um, I came here that yesterday to talk about uh, to I called it the builders of refuge I understand there's been um, the Lord has spoken over this area to be a region of refuge, meaning many pockets and places of refuge. I don't use the term cities of refuge. It's a concept um, that I think is a little too big for most of us to get around. We can't build a city. We can't manage a city. We're good enough. We can do our homes, right? And uh, so let's get it just down and call it places of refuge. But across the body of Christ, the Lord's releasing this call. These things are going to be, as, as historically have been, inner city, countryside, suburbs, just going to be all around. They're going to be young and they're going to be old. Builders of refuge aren't just um, people in their 60s like myself or younger than that. I mean, we need, we need some of the younger, the 20-year-old crowd and other things like that who, to come up and, and, um, and, and step up to the plate and be the, the upcoming leaders in this thing and um, create... Uh, compassionate care for people in crisis, create oasis of hope in the days, of, days to come. And the, and the Lord has an open invitation to those who will say yes. And one of the greatest needs is not just the preparedness message of getting food and water and you know, places you know, where people can stay and all that. The, actually, the greatest need is going to be the, the care of the human heart. It's going to be the pastoral care. It's going to be the need for shepherds in the days to come. And I want to address that today. And the reason I want to address that is let me give you a context which I... I believe we're living in. Already we're seeing some of these crises that are happening in the United States, whether it be natural disasters, terrorism, uh, the political crises, economic shakings, different things. They, some of them will have a small footprint. They'll touch just regions and cities and areas. Others will expand out. We're going to see things that have national implications similar to what we saw in 9-11. And uh, they, they, will, they will change, you know, and they'll linger, and there'll be extended durations of time with disruptions, with the power grid and other things like that. I mean, I'm not just saying this based on the prophecy. You can, if you do your diligent research and do due diligence to the research you're doing, you will find out the NSA, many others are warning of this stuff. And it's, and, and again, I... I take what the prophets say and I hold it out there and I wait on the Lord and say, Lord, what do, you, what do we do? How do we, how do we steward this properly? But then the Lord is always faithful to bring the echo, the amen through other means so that you know the timing. They'll, they'll speak about a certain thing coming and then you'll read about it coming with, uh, by per, people are projecting out in, like in the financial world for existence. And you'll see that and you'll go, well, this was said by the Lord and now what? You know what they're saying? Almost the same thing. Some of it I found they're using the same phraseology. When I see that happening I know this is at the door. It's near to happening. I need to you know, engage my heart, my mind. My, my, you know, what do I do now Lord about what's coming? Because the reason the Lord is giving the warnings is so we, the people of God, can craft a response to touch people. God's always after human hearts. He's after the lives of people. It's just not about us staying safe and us keeping our stuff and us leading the lives of a middle-class Americans like we always do. It's about us sacrificing in order to touch people in the hour of crisis who would be not open to the gospel any time, other time, but now their hearts are being open because their world is being disrupted. The stuff is being taken away that they trusted in. They put their hope in wealth. They put their hope in materialism and in comfort and their education and their and their job and their 401k and now all of a sudden it's being shaken and the Lord means when the shakings come 
for people to bow and say, why did I put my trust in that retirement alone and I've left you out, I've been pursuing with vanity this and I'm pursuing that, God, I'm so sorry and I come to you. That's what he's after. However, many will shake their fists in the face of God and curse him for, see that if God's any good, he wouldn't be doing this to my family. He wouldn't have let me lose everything. Well, he's more encouraged about and more concerned about getting a hold of your heart than your comfort in your retirement years. And God is giving us the opportunity to understand that and live that and bring people that con understanding and into that context. In the years of the Depression era, in the 1930s in America, 80% of the people lived in the country. 20% lived in cities. That demographic is switched. Now, 20% of the people live rural. 80% live in the cities. The bad part about that, majority of the cities are built on fragile infrastructure. It's interconnected between like the gas company, the electric company, everything hangs on the power grid. Communications, trucking, transportation, everything is all interconnected now. And there's limited amount of resource and overwhelming need in those areas. And when disruption comes, for whatever reason it comes, then that is going to create a negative response. People are going to react because they're used to being handed out. We have um, I forget how many millions, 48, 50 million people in America just on welfare. And when they're not getting their normal supply from Uncle Sugar Daddy, right, and they're not getting that, and it's cut off, the negative reaction is going to be overwhelming in the metroplexes. And um, we're, we'll be expecting to see a migration out of the cities and into other places. Because you know what people in the cities all think about? We'll just go out to the country because everybody out there has cows and chickens and gardens and we can find stuff there. If you're paying attention, you'll know most of the rural places do not even operate that way anymore. Most of the farms long have been bought up and they're, they're sitting there dormant. The average farmer in America is over 55 years old. Majority in our area have been turned into subdivisions. Beautiful farmland is now sprawling subdivisions with hundreds of people living uh, postage stamp lawns next to each other. Well, we're going to see people, the Lord's saying refuge places, prepare refuge places because we're going to see refugees. We're seeing them in Europe, and we will see them here in America in some degree, especially anywhere near a metro area. And we're going to see people, mixture of social classes and groups, all coming out looking for help and food and other things. We may expect, a, I think we can expect a huge number of those to be addicted to prescription drugs and illegal drugs. I think we can expect to see a huge number of those also as sexual uh, predators and on the, the sex offenders list. So we're going to have these mixed in with the crowd. We're going to see a lot of people who are armed with firearms but are not trained in the use of them. And, we'll, and, so, and so people will, will come at all different Things And they're going to become hungry, they're going to come thirsty, they're going to come having suffered loss, some of them, they're going to come traumatized. I mean, this, this could be the context. This is the refugees that are coming into Europe, some of them, except not being armed and all that we know. But just look around, picture what it, what it might be, and then how do we meet that need? And one of the greatest needs that I want to speak about today is the need for true biblical shepherds at these refuge places. I believe 
Refuge places, places of refuge, are going to be one expression of the body of Christ in the days of come. Not every church is going to be and buy into that message or prepare for that. But there are many who are hearing it. There are many people in the body of Christ that attach to different local churches. Some pastors are, uh, like yours here, is giving a, uh, a, a platform and wanting to see that developed in people so that they come into that. They, they hold value in it. And others I meet, the pastors don't want anything to do with it, but the individuals in the various congregations or not are pursuing it personally and with other groups of like-minded people. And I want to tell you, some of the pastoral care needs to come from 20-somethings, too. You know, the apostles were all about 20-year-olds. They weren't old guys like in the Jesus movies we produce. They weren't. They were all got young, young guys in their 20s and something. Uh, it was just normal to attach yourself to a rabbi when you were a young man. So it's this, this thing of, the, I, I want to, I think the Lord wants to pop this bubble of what we call pastors nowadays and go right us back to a biblical model. And I want to point us to a biblical model the Apostle Paul gives in Acts chapter 20. That's where we're going to be going. Call it Paul's Pastoral Seminar if you want to turn there. And today we have pastoring modeled after a lot of it, the business world. Many pastors run their churches like CEOs. Some are like mayors because they have so many. Others are like a business. It's kind of a business management style. Some are self-help gurus, helping everybody get fixed of all their problems. Others are pop psychologists. Just listen to the sermons that come out. Many of them aren't even preaching the Bible. They're using text of the Bible to preach pop psychology. The people aren't learning the word of the Lord. There's a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And there's so many models that have been grabbed from everywhere else of what a pastor is. And the Lord wants us to go back to the scripture. I mean, he is the great shepherd of the sheep and the good shepherd. And we want to learn. And Paul was a, a one of these models, these apostolic models, and he is, in Acts chapter 20, we're going to go, I call this Paul's pastor's seminar. And the, the context of this in Acts 20, we're going to walk through this in the uh, next little bit of time I have here, and Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem by the word of the Lord. And he has spent three years in the city of Ephesus establishing the church there. They've had powerful... Um, awakening, idolaters turning, the whole business community of making idols turned upside down. He's had persecution from the Jews, persecution from the business world. He has spent three years raising up a strong church. Ephesus became the church planting center, if you please, at that time period, in this time period, in the book of Acts. He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. He writes 1 and 2 Timothy to Timothy, whom later he sends to oversee the ministry in Ephesus. It was a huge house church movement. And I'll show you why it was a house church movement. And by the way, there's a house church movement coming to America. When the disruptions come financially, many churches in millions and millions of dollars of debt, we are going to see buildings being lost. And the problem, and my concern is, one, they do not have a wineskin that will facilitate the dispersion of people that they can't get together and meet. How are you going to care for the people in the hour of crises? Do you have the leadership that can care for their souls? See, above all as pastors, we are given care over the souls of people. Read in Hebrews 13. 
I mean, we give an account for their souls. And, and it's, it's, it's not about numbers and nickels and buildings and programs. It's about developing people into the maturity to being apprentices of Jesus. My goal is to bring people into Christ's likeness, to be conformed to the image of his son. Those other things, if they can contribute to that process, then they're good. And to the, the place they do not contribute to it, I personally want nothing to do with it. And Paul is here as an example, is teaching the leaders. He's going to use even his own life as an example. He has poured his life out for three years. He has a, he's, and he comes to this place in Miletus, and he sends word to Ephesus. It's about a day or a couple days journey away. And he's calling these house church leaders, these men and women, to come down and meet with him. He is never going to see them again. They don't know that yet. Now he's going to release that in his, what I call his seminar, one of the sessions of his seminar. They're never going to see his face again. So he's, he's under this burden, like, what do I do with these men and women I've walked with, I've personally sown into, I've wept with, I've buried some of their family, I've, you know, I've shared my life, I've taught the word, I've helped them through their troubles, and now I'm going to meet with these leaders because they're, I'm no, never, no longer going to have input into their lives. They're going to be on their own with the Lord, with his word. What do I say to them, Lord? And we have this seminar here now. And here, at the, and Paul is talking, looks verse 17. I know this is, this, this is house church leaders, pastoral leaders. And let me say this. In the first three centuries, there was no clergy laity division. Before Constantine, there didn't exist, you know, clergy and then lay people. Yes, there were apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, there were elders, there were deacons, but th there wasn't this division, like ordained, like we have now. You had to go to seminary and all this stuff, then, you know. Anyhow, it, so, but Paul calls in verse 17, he calls forth, forth the elders. He sent and called the elders. That word is presbyteros. It's a standard word for elders. It was derived from the Hebrew synagogue and it were, and, or for leaders of villages. In verse 28, he calls them overseers. That is sometimes translated bishops, those who watch over the welfare or the care of people. Now, now we have bishops being people get um, like a bishop, and then under the bishop he has pastors and stuff. Well, the New Testament, they didn't have like the bishop wasn't like that office over there. It was another word for the same person and same, same role. And the third one is verse 28. He, he calls them to care for, or really in the Greek, it's shepherd, poimen. It's pastor, those who feed the flock, those who watch out for the weak and the sick. So all these three words are not saying Paul called together the elders, he called together the bishops, and he called together the pastors, the shepherds. No, they're all terms for the same same work, the same ministry. It's functional. It's not an office like that. It's a function. Okay, are you getting it? All right. So he, and I believe they're house churches because in Acts 20, Paul says, I, you know how I went to house to house with you. History says there were 250,000 people living at Ephesus at this time of this writing. How many, how many people and how far was the church permeated into that culture in that day? I don't know. How long did this last, this, this, this seminar? We don't know. You can read it in about two minutes. Dr. Peter Wagner believes that we have less than 1% of the content of what Paul taught that day, or those couple days. They believe it was several days. So what we're reading is like Luke's 
um, text message, email summary of Paul's couple-day seminar hanging out with his leaders that he loves, all right? So that's what we have. We have just a little, a little vignette, just a little bite of it, but it is rich. It would, I would like to have two, three, four sessions just to unpack this thing, but today I'm just going to give you the broad overview because of all, it is, it is showing us the need that we need to have of what he call lay shepherds, shepherd people in the days to care for the people that are coming to these places of refuge. We have to have that. We are not a Christian bed and breakfast. We're not just finding a place where we can make them all comfy and give them a warm place. You know, yeah, hot meal's great. Warm place to stay. A safe place. Great. That's all a component of it. But the primary, the center of it is the presence of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit and people being fed the word of God and discipled and healed of their wounds and healed of their sicknesses and a safe place. I mean, it's, it's about the Lord being present. And we've got to be equipped as true shepherds, not models we're seeing today. I tell you, there is a lot of false models of what a pastor is. They do not line up with what the scripture says, and I don't apologize for that. You will see as we walk through this, what Paul says by the Holy Spirit is a true pastor's heart. So I'm going to break this pastor seminar into four sessions, okay? Because that's, uh, that's the way I would do it. Anyhow, so that's why I see in Scripture. I don't know. I, I teach seminars. Kind of. So anyhow, Paul says, session one, he calls all the people together, guys and ladies. I think there may be men and women. Like we had Aquila, Priscilla. We had Phoebe was a deacon. So women had a role, too, in this shepherding in that day. And um, Paul says in verse 18, 18 through 21, read that with me if you would. I'll read it here. It says, you yourselves know, uh, I'm going to start at verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's Paul's first thing. I say this, he says, you know, you house church leaders, pastors, you must teach the word of God with a servant's heart. That's my topic, I believe. I would sum up this and say Paul's saying. And in our refuge places, we are, when people come, we are to give them the word of God for, and teach it with a servant's heart. How do I know that? Well, Paul, one, he says, look at my life. He goes, you know, you know my life. Now this is, a, this is a huge statement because pastors I know today, some dear friends of mine, they have been burned in their churches by getting close to people. So they don't want to get close to people anymore. So they live aloof from their people and they don't live with the sheep. Ever heard of a shepherd that doesn't live among the sheep? Some guy wrote a book and he said the shepherd ought to smell like the sheep. I agree. I think Paul would agree. If you're a shepherd, you ought to get around you. It's like, what's that smell? It smells like the sheep. Well, if you have a shepherd doesn't smell like the sheep, there's a problem. Paul says, look at me. You know how I lived among you the whole time. I lived among you. Look at my life. And he wasn't afraid to put his life on example. He would point them, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he told the Corinthians. But he put his life out there. And he said, what, how did he, what was his example? Verse 19, humility, tears, and trials. Humility and tears and trials. Paul could have said, like these pretty boys today in the pulpits in America. He could have said, look at the signs and wonders 
I did in Ephesus. People came to me with mere handkerchiefs and I prayed for them and they took them out and people were delivered. Get on my newsletter. <laughs> he could have boasted of all kinds of stuff. He didn't boast. You know what he boasted in? Humility. One of the crowning virtues of the Lord is not only his holiness, it is his humility. Tears. He wasn't afraid to cry in front of the pym. Privately and publicly we'll see her. Tears. He wept with them. Means he entered into. Compassion means to suffer with. He entered into their trials. He was a shepherd among the sheep. And when they wept, he wept. When they rejoiced, he rejoiced. He persevered through the trials. He didn't quit. Could have said, you know, hey, I'm an apostle. Been called to this and that. I don't have to put up with this kind of stuff and hand it off. This isn't what God called. No. Part of embracing the gospel and the call to ministry is to embrace the call to suffering. We've left that out of the American gospel, but it's the apostolic gospel, and the Lord is going to recover it. We're going to have leaders who are, uh, who are, are ready for that. Paul even told the Thessalonians, I, when I came to you, I came to you in humility. I came not to please men, not to, not to on a flattery, not on a pretext of greed of what I can get out of the people. I mean, we got people that, anyhow, they won't even come preach to you until you give them a certain offering. Well, that got quiet. Okay. <laughs> not for the glory of men, he said, and not making demands on his apostleship. Boy, there's a great one for the pretty boys today. Okay. Not making demands on a seasoned apostle. He deserves this and that. Listen, the apostles, he said, are the last in the parade. They were servants of everybody. Oh, man. Anyhow. And so Paul doesn't cite that. He cites instead of all his accomplishments, everything he could have put on his credentials, he says, I, pastors, preach the word. Preach it with a servant heart. Notice verse 20. He taught them publicly. He taught them from house to house. He taught both Jews and Gentiles. He didn't have any racial distinction. He didn't let the Jews force him into um, just preaching things that please Jewish people. He didn't let the Gentiles exclude the message of the Jew first and not the Gentile. He wasn't out to please men. He wasn't out to anyone. He preached to Jew and Gentile alike. And you, a lot of people have a call that we're going to have these refuge places. We're going to have Jewish people come in. Then you better be prepared to present the gospel to the Jew because it is to them first. And you need to get schooled up on how to do that. But still, Paul said this, and he taught them the gospel. He taught them repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the message of the cross. When he went house to house, he didn't just do a little congenial pastoral visit. How are you? Oh, how's Aunt Martha? Oh, good. Isn't, you know, and to talk about, never talk about the word, never talk about, you know, I mean, he, he got in there into their hearts. Guys, God has given you an opportunity as a region of refuge, and those of you building refuge, to have people come to your homes and you're going to open their homes and in, their, in your homes they're going to open their hearts. And you need to be equipped to be you know, servants of God who can bring the word of the Lord and the power of the Spirit to care for their, and their hearts. Bring the gospel. Second segment here. So Paul tirelessly taught the word of God in these meetings. Second session, verses 22 through 24. Where are we at here? Okay. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, knowing not what will happen to me there, except 
that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions are waiting me. And I do not count my life any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course of the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So in this second segment, Paul's gotten, this. he says, he tells him now, he goes, guys, I've gotten multiple warnings from the Holy Spirit as I've traveled. And what the Holy Spirit's telling me is there's bonds and afflictions. I'm going into some troubled times. And, and, and you know, he said, but, and so basically he's saying this. He said, the Lord's showing me that men are going to constrain me and arrest me and bind me. But notice what he says. He doesn't look at that. He looks at it as being bound by the Holy Spirit. It's a binding. It's constraining of the Spirit of God over his life. I like the way the voice translation puts this. Paul says, now, I feel the Holy Spirit has taken me captive. I'm being led to Jerusalem. My future is uncertain, but I know the Holy Spirit's told me that everywhere I go from now on, I will find imprisonment and persecution waiting for me. But that's okay. That's no tragedy for me, because I don't cling to my life for my own sake. The only value I place on my life is that I may finish my race that I may fulfill the ministry that Jesus our King has given me, and that I may gladly tell the good news of grace. Boy, that was Paul's focus. Obey the Lord, finish the course. Hardships come, so what? Jesus said, you know, I mean, Jesus said these troubles will come, and he was kind of like, so what? They're going to come. They're part of the thing. But Paul said, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to finish the message I received. I'm going I'm to move on from that, but I'll tell you, that's a huge passage. Because the more we count that our lives are valuable to ourselves, you see what I mean? That I, then we become self-preserving. And God's calling us to a place in the days that are coming to be to lose ourselves. Our, you know, those who, we, we want to quote Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. I hear people stop there. But the verse goes on to say, but they loved not their lives even to the point of death. Guys, I'm telling you in refuge places, you can look at the history. I did a, a history, cursory overview of the history of refuge places yesterday. Those who attended, remember, I'll tell you, one thing we learned from it is this. Those people, it cost many of them. It cost them their finances. It cost them reputation. Sometimes it cost them even their very lives. It cost them their comfort for sure. And we need to approach the days ahead as an opportunity to suffer for his name's sake for the gospel. That is, in our Disneyland world we live in, as middle-class Americans, that's not even taught to us. Where do we hear that in our churches? This whole thing about 15-minute sermons and upbeat worship and happy, healthy, and wealthy, and wise, and da -da -da -da, make sure people leave church with a wonderful, warmed-up feeling. Don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about negative things. Don't talk, oh, where are we talking? We're not even reading the same Bible. It's nonsense. You can't turn the pages of the gospel, the book of Acts, without feeling the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice that these men went through to establish the gospel in the nations of the earth. We want to pass over all that. Just this self-help, heal everybody, make everybody warm and fuzzy, don't say anything negative, build them up all the time, power of positive. Listen, I'm for positive, but I'll tell you what. Life is hard, and sometimes life is hell. 
And you got the enemy opposing you, and you got circumstances in your own flesh that you wish could get renewed in the Lord more, and your mind renewed and everything. And this is a battle many times. And we know that, but then we all want to pretend differently. Paul was just being heart to heart. Do you see? I mean, it's a pastor's heart. He knows he's not going to be with him. He's trying to guide, guys, you can't. You've got to count the cost on this thing. You'll not make it if you don't count the cost. And it's your honor to do that. You've been bought with a price. Third, third session. They take a break, they come back. Now Paul, Paul's going to drop the bomb on them. He's warming them up. Now he's going to drink up the big I mean, these guys, they spent three years together. He's poured his life into these people. Day in, day out. You see all the, the thing. He's lived before them. They know his life. He's cried with them. He's wept with them. He's, he's close with these people. Now he drops the bomb, verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. I bet there was a collective <gasps> gasp, Paul tells him. You're never going to see me again. I know it. Remember I just told about the Holy Spirit's constrained me and I'm going into imprisonment and chains and stuff. I'm going away, guys. This is the last time we're going to see. It must have been a corporate gasp. <gasps> Surely not. This can't be. No, no, Paul. Not Paul. We saw the handkerchiefs. We saw the healings. We saw the dead rays. We saw... I, Paul? Paul, not you. But there was. That's what he tells them. I'm going to say this too with Paul constrained about giving up his life. There's so much talk now among leaders about leaving a legacy and fulfilling your personal destiny. And you know what? I don't find Paul ever talking about that. <laughs> Enough said. Okay. So Paul drops this bomb on them. And now he says this. He's telling them this because he's setting them up. He's about to let them know that, you know what? I've kind of carried the responsibility. You know, he's like, it's like having... You know, the dad, the father, the leader, you know, in the house, and all of a sudden he's leaving, you know, you're going out on your own and you don't have that net there anymore. Paul's basically saying, I'm removing the net, and I want, to, I want you to understand the soberness and the seriousness of the, the, this call that you've got and what's going to happen. So notice, I'm going to read, and notice what he tells them. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to pastor, to shepherd the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Because I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men, speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everybody with tears. There's tears again. All right, and we'll stop there. So Paul tells them this. He goes, he drops the bomb. I'm not going to be with you. And then he says this odd statement here. He says, I know that I'm innocent of the blood of you all. Now, where have you heard that statement before in the scripture? Innocent of the blood of you all. Paul reaches back to Ezekiel, chapter 3 and chapter 33, where God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. And if you see an enemy or trouble coming or sin in the camp and you warn the people of that sin, and if they heed it, they'll be saved. If they don't heed it, then they die. They disobey the warning from me. 
then they'll die and they'll be accountable. But if you see it coming and you don't say a word to them, and it comes and they, you, know, you don't warn them of their sin or you don't warn them of the enemy coming and they, and they fall, then you are guilty of their blood. It's a sober thing. Now Paul says to these guys, that still holds true for pastor you shepherds now in the new covenant. That's what he's saying. Paul realized when he was shepherding there, he came in his responsibility. That's why he was so adamant to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles alike, to not hold back. Paul says, I didn't hold anything. And I'm telling you guys, I want you not to hold anything back. Now that's easy to say and it's hard to do. I know as a pastor, the Lord would give me some messages and it's like, this is going on in the church, confront that. Now you have to, I've confronted it wrongly in the wrong spirit and uh, preached to the people or at the people and not to the people. You know the difference? You ever been preached at or preached to? I've been guilty of that. I've done it, and I've been there on the other side too. And it's not good to preach at people. A shepherd, you want to preach to their hearts. And hard things. I used to go, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to address that. I hate to preach these kind of messages. And you're just constrained by the Lord, and you've got to do it because sometimes you have to give out the medicine. Sometimes you've just got to administer the discipline. Sometimes you've got to say the hard things and, some, and teach the, the things that aren't popular. And Paul, that's what Paul said he did. And again, look at today. Surf through the Internet. Surf through the YouTube. Where do you find the preachers dealing with the hard things? They are there, but they are few, and they are far between. And Paul says, guys, here's what I'm telling you. If you. What he's saying is this. If you don't preach the whole counsel of God, not sugar-coated little... Like, it's so easy to get on the current waves that go through the body of Christ now with all our media. Whatever the latest teaching is, then that you know comes in and then people feel... They watch it on YouTube. They listen to the different conferences. And then the pastor feels pressure to kind of get on that wagon. The Holy Spirit could be saying, address something else. But we want to like, well, we don't want to get left out. I mean... You know, Bethel's saying it, or you name the movement. You know, I don't want to just pick Bethel. So we got to say the same thing, too. And, you know, Bill Johnson's preaching on the presence, so we got to talk about the presence. And, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with talking about the presence, but it may not be the word of the Lord for you now. And sometimes it's easy. I'm telling you as a pastor, it's easy to talk about the other things and not talk about, you know what, folks? There's judgment in the land because our nation is in rampant sin. And God is after that to shake it in order to get people to repent. Let's talk about repentance. Let's talk about suffering. Oh, no, 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 no. The numbers will go down. The offering will go down. People skip church for a few weeks. I was, I was, when I was a young man... At First Baptist Church, the pastor I was with, we were in a building program, he preached on tithing and giving for 13 weeks. And I was his number one associate. I'd just come on staff with him. I was his associate, 28 years old. I was guilty by association. Everybody that hated him hated me. He was the money-preaching pastor. We, we paid for a church debt-free, though. And the giving went up exponentially. And there was like an awakening in the church because people got a hold of stewardship before God got rid of their selfishness. But boy, it was rough going. The Lord had me preaching on the book of Revelation that, and all going through that. That filtered out some of the flock, huh? <laughs> Teach on suffering. I mean, years of preaching, I never taught any message on suffering. I didn't want to study the subject myself. I was constrained by the Lord to do it. I taught on suffering. That one goes down real good, too. Can't can we talk about something better, Chuck? Come on, come on. I'm talking the scripture. I'm teaching you right from the, not my opinion. Let's, let's delve into the word. Do you know how much the word talks about this stuff? So Paul's telling them, 
oh, guys, you're accountable for their blood. If we don't warn the people in the pews today, I mean, you know what pastors won't preach about homosexuality, any kind of sexual stuff today? They won't talk about any of the racial issues. They dodge everything. Why? Because it might get out on YouTube. It might Facebook. Somebody might Twitter them. They might get unliked, God forbid, on, on their Facebook account. What would do that do to them? They'd have to go to inner healing. I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but it is that bad at sometimes. It's crazy. We need to be able to take, this is the whole counsel of the word of God. I don't care what culture says. I don't really care what this group and that group says. I have to obey the Lord. And Paul's telling them that. Their blood is going to be on your hands. And you must give them the whole counsel of God. That's what he said. And he did it. Notice Paul also says, verse 28, pay attention to yourselves. Proverbs would say it this way, guard your own heart because from it flows the issues of life. It's not only pastors, you can't just look out for other people. You better be on watch for your own soul. What are you seeing through your eye gate? What are you hearing? What are you thinking? You know, are you letting bitterness get in your soul? It'll be communicated to people. Are you walking in unforgiveness? Are you getting, is it, I know it's easy in, in, in leadership and pastoring and, and your staff to get an us against them. It's almost like, hey, we're trying to lead the church this way and this group over here and they're trying to oppose it and it's us and them. Man, when you get us and them, you're in trouble. It's we. It's we. I stink like the sheep. I should. Now, they're contentious, rebellious sheep. Read Ezekiel 34. The ones who muddy the waters for other. The Lord's going to take care of them. Go read Ezekiel 34. It's not a pretty picture. But the point being, Paul says, pay attention to yourselves. And then he says, pay attention to the flock. You can't get it the other way around. You can't just watch for the flock, watch for the flock, watch for the flock, and not pay attention to yourselves. You get into sin, you get into compromise, you get into all kinds of mess. Second, or third thing, he says, remember who appointed you. He says, the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Now, I can have, lay hands on elders and designate them, you know, but, but, but my laying hands didn't make them an elder. The Holy Spirit's already had to call them and say they're an elder, and what I'm doing is giving recognition to what the Holy Spirit's calling and preparation. And there's a difference between the call and the commission, and in between is the preparation. And then there's lots of people I found that are called, but they're not ready for the commission because they want to jump through the fast track on, on all the training. It's called the school of hard knocks. And it's not always fun. But if not, all you get is empty hands laid on empty heads. That's not good. So we don't want that. So Paul says, remember who appointed you. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he's not made you a dictator. He's made you an overseer to oversee. That means leading, and sometimes that means hard decisions and other things, but your job is to oversee. Fourth, remember your job description. Overseers, shepherds. Fifth, count the cost. It costs, remember the cost, it costs the Lord his own blood. I mean, this is a sober thing, guys. You're going to have me entrusted with people in your refuge place. It's like little house churches. Get that. And the people coming that you're shepherding, you're caring for, in the grace of God, under the stewardship of the Lord, they've been bought by the Lord's own blood. They're not mine. I, I, I got away from that years ago. He's talking about, yeah, my church, in my church, in my church. Then things started happening. I go, Lord, you know what? They're not my people. They're yours. I don't want nothing to do with this. <laughs> so, it was a big, and really, it sounds funny, but it was a transition in the heart from, they're not mine. It's not my church at all. You bought it with your blood. I'm an under-shepherd under you, the great shepherd, and I'm here 
you know, and I, I'm just not acting right and stuff. And Lord, straighten me out before I try to straighten them out. Well, Paul says, here's why you got to do these things. Watch why your own sorrow, why, why you're watching the flock, because two things are going to happen. You're going to have attacks from outside, and you're going to have attacks from inside. Outside, he calls them fierce wolves. I believe he's talking about false teachers and false prophets. And most of the time, scriptures writing false teachers, false prophets have a motivation in their hearts through greed, through lust, through other things to, to come in and, and infiltrate a church and bring infectious teaching. And Paul says, watch out. There is so much flakiness out there on YouTube in the name of Bible that is not Bible. I'm not even going to name them because I know this is on the internet. I don't know how Pastor David feels about it. But anyhow, if you want to ask me, I'll tell you. Okay, because I'm telling you, you can't ground it in the Word. Sometimes I listen and I go, where did they get that in the Word? You know, at my core, I started in the Baptist church and I went into the vineyard. And one thing I loved about the Baptist is like, line it up with the Word. Line it up with the Word. Line it up with the Word. And I want, you know, if it's not the Word and I can't validate it, you know, with that, I don't care. I don't care how mysterious, how wonderful, how spooky, how great, you know, how... Yeah, if it's not the Scripture, what... Anyhow, so Paul... <laughs> I don't want to get off on a tangent there, but that is important. It's important. Become a person of the word. Saturate yourself with the word because fierce wolves try to penetrate from the outside. And he says, not only that, guys, from your own midst, people are going to rise up. Do you realize before Paul was beheaded by Nero, these very things had come into those churches? The very things he's warning these shepherds about had happened. People had come in to Corinth, had come into Thessalonica saying, the Lord's not coming. So you missed the coming of the Lord. False things from within, from within. Then he had attacks from without from the Judaizers. These things were real to him. They're happening. They're happening today. And people come in and they, they draw, they come in, raise up among themselves, and they draw little clusters away. And then the accusations come against the leader, the leadership team, and the worship team. Different things, different people. And then pretty soon, pop, they pop off here. Let's not. Let's watch out for that. He says, watch out. Because they'll come not sparing the flock. They'll speak twisted things, perver perversions, half-truths. He says, verse 31, be alert. And it means be alert continually. And notice Paul says, notice what he says again about his tears. I admonished, you know, that I continually, persistently admonished people for three years. And admonishment is a corrective word. It's different than, it has encouragement in it, but it's encouragement with correction. You ever been thoroughly admonished? All right, it's, yeah, by the Lord, I have. And it's like he corrects you, but he always gives you the encouragement with it. It's like a mixture. It's, it's the good and the bad. Boy, that hurts real good, I call it. And that's what Paul did. Paul gave him. And but a lot of that, if you're, if, you're a, if you're like a little sugar stick pastor and you, you want to please people all the time and you're, you don't want to offend anybody and you do this and you'll just all the time, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's like power of positive. I've got to be positive, positive, positive. Well, sometimes you have to correct it. And correction's not easy, but you have to do it in the right spirit. But admonition is biblical. Number four, last session. Some of you are glad. You're having a hard time getting through this, se this seminar. Paul, I'm going to sum it up. Paul says, well, let's read it first. I don't think I read that. Verse 32 through 35. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and you, you know yourselves 
that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give and to receive. Oh, Paul says the final session they come together, I'm sure they're ragged. They said, you know, Paul, that third session was tough. You started out saying you're never going to see us again, and we were really taken by that, and then you just laid the hammer down to us. I mean, that was pretty rough there. Watch out for yourselves. Watch out for the wolves. Watch, Man, they just feel really worked over, and Paul, Paul's going to smooth it over now. This past, apostolic pastor, his heart, and he's going to go, and he, he sits down with him now, and he goes, guys, let's, let's wrap this up. You're never going to see me again. I, I understand that. And so he, he commends them. Notice, he's never going to see them again, but he's so relationally connected deep at heart. He can't be with them. They can't call, they can't go over to Paul's place and, Paul, what do we do about this situation? How do we get this demon out of this person? Well, this person came with this. Paul, what do we do? Paul, what do we do? He can't, he's not going to be there for that. But he, you know what he says? He, he says, I commend you to the grace of God and to his word that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Again, he's back to the word of God Guys, we have to be just, God, be sought with this word. And it, it's living, it's active. It's, I mean, we have to know this word inside out, be grounded and rooted in it, and it living and breathing and, and guiding. God will guide us. He will, as he promised, he will teach you all things, bring all things to remembrance, John 14. Remember he said about the Holy Spirit, he'll, and he'll, whatever things I've said to you, Oh, I've done the time talking to people in and, and situations and not knowing what in the world to do. All of a sudden, it just comes. You ever had it? it just comes out of your mouth. And you go, where did that come from? I love those times. It's like, that's the Lord. I didn't even think of that one. I go, I can't. Wow. I didn't even think about it. It just came out. Lord, that's you. You, you, brought the, you brought that deposit. But it's in there because I spent time with you and I thought about it, meditated, prayed on it. And it's, I call it owning it. Man, we've got to own these words. We've got to go deep and we've got to own it. When's the last time... You actually went through a book of the Bible and delved in and like owned Ephesians. Owned a couple Psalms. I mean, I call it the, you ever get what the times where the words, words just living in you, living on you? Like that word is just living on me. I love that. I don't have it all the time, but man, I love that feeling when it's on there. It's like, man, that Psalm is just alive to me. It's in me. I'm owning it. God, let me go deeper. Guys, we've got to do this. And I don't know, Lord has going to have, Lord knows in his foreknowledge the assignments and the people that are coming your way. And he's sending them to your house because he's equipping you to have the goods in his name to touch their lives and bring to them what they need. It's not accidental. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, he's orchestrating all these things. And all you got to do is be diligent in your weakness to go before him. And God, teach me this word. Go there. And, and so he's doing that. Paul knows that the word has power to give them faith, to build them up. And then he says this. He says, guys, verse 33, live simple. I, I would sum it up. Live simple and be content. I didn't covet anybody's silver. He said, don't, don't worry. I know this ministry thing is going to cost you some stuff, but don't try to worry about being, having every. Just live simple. There's a beauty in living with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain, he would tell him in Timothy. You know, the desire of the rich is to go after everything. He's to learn to live content. And then he even tells him here, don't be afraid to work hard. Hard work. That's like two, four, you know, two dirty words, right? Hard, nowadays, hard work. And work with your hands. Don't think that because you're not in full-time ministry, you're not a full-time minister. 
Where did that come from? There wasn't paid clergy for 400 years in the church. Did you hear that? People didn't get paid all the time. Some of them got offerings. Paul said the, the right was to, to you preach the gospel, to live by the gospel. They were able to get, but, but I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, like well, anyhow, the whole system we have now. Don't be afraid to work with your hands. Tent maker ministries, they call it. Paul made tents and worked and he preached the gospel and he did it. So by vocational pastoring, your shepherding, it's fine. Paul said, here's an example. He gives a blessing to it. Don't be, and, and in it, be generous. Be generous. It's more blessed to give than to receive. They call it the hidden beatitude. So he reminds them that it's honorable to work and to labor among them. I've been working the last several months at a hardware store. You know the old nuts and bolts Ace Hardware kind of. You actually walk in and people know where to find stuff and you know know what they're talking about. I always go to some of these big box stores. They go, I need this bolt. That kid's looking at me. He's like ten. He seems like anyhow, he's nineteen or something. He goes, I don't know. I go, it's a half inch fine thread. You know, anyhow, I have to tell him. Go back and we kind of walk through it now. But anyhow, this is kind of neat being in there. These guys, these old some of these old timers, you know. And uh, it's been fascinating interacting with life. And I told the guy, hire me, he says, don't tell everybody I'm a preacher. Now, that, now there's a setup on that because you want to live, they put you in a box that you want to live in a way that when they do find out, they're not surprised, like, he's a preacher? Oh my goodness, you know. <laughs> so I'm kind of like the undercover preacher in their midst and they don't know and it's kind of funny, you know, because some guy's going off with their flowery language and other things and I just thought, one of these days, it's gonna, I'm going to blow my cover, and you're going to... Anyhow, it's kind of funny. But I have, it's just funny living and working in that environment again, being out of it, and then going back in, and just to get into the hearts of workaday people, you know, and how they think, and what their values are, and what they give their time to, and what they talk about, and what their money, and looking and praying for them, and hearing their pain, and hearing all the stuff, and trying to figure out, Lord... How do I pray for these guys? Is there an opportunity at some point to, to share with them, to do, you know, to kind of, just even as a believer, I don't have to come out like I'm the preacher, let me pray. Just, how do I do it just as, a, as another guy like them and work with it? I'm loving that. It. It's, it's really, it's kind of very interesting. And it's, it's back to the thing of work with your hands. It's honorable. Work hard and be generous. So this was Paul's seminar to these guys. He concludes this historic gathering with these guys and they, they, they he runs down to the beach and they weep and they pray over him and they love him and he's, they're going to send them off. They're sending off this guy they've lived and labored with so long and are never going to see him again. And he's, yet he's given them out of his heart, the overflow of his heart, rich truths and eternal wisdom that will guide them as they shepherd the church at Ephesus in the years to come. The Lord is calling many of you. You know that, hearing this preaching. You know that he's like putting his finger on you. Like what he's preaching is for you. The days ahead. And you don't have to call yourself, I'm the pastor. You just, you just, it's not a, it's a role. It's a function. Everything's functional. I'm a mechanic because uh, if I fix stuff, right, car, and then I'm a mechanic. If I build things, I might be a carpenter. In the church, we have pastor this, pastor that, pastor that. I love to go to Assembly of God churches. They pastor, 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 pastor. You know, everybody's a pastor, the janitor, pastor, janitor, pastor. You know, anyhow, sorry, you AG guys, but anyhow, but 
It's just, it's just comical. My brother, he, he belonged to an AG church for a while, and um, he did that. And he, he says, he was kind of upset having to say that, they call everybody Pastor Pastor. And he says, well, and they, they said, Dave. And he goes, no, I'm Engineer Dave. <laughs> He'd do that to him because he was trying to get the point about pastoring's your function. You shepherd people. Anyhow, enough for that. So some of you feel called to that. And you're younger adults here. I mean, it's on your heart. God, God fingers you. It's again, the Holy Spirit chooses. And if you're called to the refuge place, then this has got to, got to be, has got to be a part of it. And if it's not your assignment, then the Lord's, you need to pray that the Lord links you up with somebody that has this call over their life. Because this is the core of what we're going to do in refuge places. And so this morning, in a few minutes, I want to offer an invitation to some of you who feel the Lord has, this is speaking to you, and you just want to come up and before the Lord say, God, you know, I mean, this is a huge mandate. Even reading this again and studying it afresh to preach it, I'm going like, God, I so need to measure up. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm going to preach to everybody else. This is a, a lifelong task to live up to. So I'm not one preaching to you as Joe Preacher, pastor, who has arrived. Sorry. I don't care how great my introduction was, Aaron. That's not, <laughs> I was going, man, that's great. I don't know that guy. <laughs> Anyhow, it's comical. So it's not. I'm telling you, but we're, we're on a heart in our weakness and our broken parts of our lives, but we're going after this thing. We're saying, God, it's you. You're the shepherd, and you're shepherding people through us. But here I am. I acknowledge, I feel that call, and in my weakness I come, and I sit fresh today and say, God, Start me on this journey afresh, you know? Get me, take me, mold me, shape me, use me in this area. And there's others I, I felt that have this call over their life. And, and he, I was praying on Thanksgiving Day. I was out walking and praying um, after deer hunting and eating a big meal and all this stuff. So I hope this is from the Lord. No, it is. <laughs> I, was, um, and I was praying like, Lord, this is the... What, what about the people there? Was there? Is there any ministry you want to do? And, and the Lord gave me this, this, you know, you get prophetic pictures, kind of like in your mind's eye, your spirit. And I see this, maybe coming from the hardware store, I think, but I saw this like sewer drain pipe like comes out of the house, you know. It's supposed to take all the toilet waste out and take it your septic or something. I saw that, and then I saw a big tree, and a tree had grown down, and the roots, and they were all inside the pipe and outside of it, mainly inside the pipe, and they were clogging the pipe from the stuff. It stopped up. It was barely going through. And again, you don't ever prophesy the picture. The picture speak a thousand. I'm like, what were you saying by this picture? He said, there's some individuals there at the gathering that because of offenses, they haven't processed. I've given them a way to process the waste that comes through their lives to pass the unforgiveness, the criticism, the bitterness, the judgments, the other things. And they have let bitterness take root. And just like a tree will go down and go to that pipe where that refuge is, refuse is because there's nu- nutrition in it. They go there because it, they're feeding off it. It says there's bitterness feeding off of that. And it's clogged up their life. And it's spilling over into their marriage, into their other relationships, and into the church. And I want to touch them and pull up.
the root of bitterness. If they will come and agree with you, I will remove the root of bitterness and let that stuff flow from their life again and sweeten the waters. I know that's a weighty word. I've weighed about even giving it without Pastor Dave being here and all. But I felt compelled to the Lord to do that. And with it the other day, too, the Lord spoke to me. When the first time I was here, he said, and I'll say this, I mentioned it yesterday, but to the water, your audience, even those who may be hearing it on the web, to those of you, well, let me read it here. I wrote it down. It's just a little sentence. The Lord told me that it is absolutely necessary for Joseph, many of you with the Joseph calling, for Joseph to forgive and reconcile with their brothers if they are to come into the fullness of their calling. It's absolutely necessary. You will not come into the fullness of what God has called you except you forgive and reconcile. And these are weighty ministry things, but they're on the heart of the Lord. And it's going to be necessary to do that to become the shepherds that God is calling you to be. Some of you have that call and that bitterness and that other thing is the obstacle that's keeping that coming out of your life so that you could become that. And I just want to invite you to come before the Lord today. I don't even need to pray with you. If you know that, you just need to turn your heart to the Lord and turn to Him. He under, and it, you have to lay down the right to all the other stuff. Well, they were wrong, and I was right. I mean, you just have to die to it. You have to go to the cross. That's all I can say. There is no easy way. It's a hard way. That's, that's the solution. The cross is the solution. It's not whether you're right or they're right or anybody else. It's Jesus was right, and he, he took that upon himself. Why are you bearing it? You weren't meant to bear it. He's made a way to keep that flow cleansed from your life so that you could live in his peace, in his joy, in the fullness that he gives life evermore. So, uh, worship team, come. I want to pray. And Dylan, if you want to come, I don't know how you want to lead with your ministry teams or whatever. Would you stand with me, please? Let's just invite the Spirit of the Lord to brood over our hearts on this. Lord, we invite you to come now. Holy Spirit, come and rest upon us. We welcome you. We posture our weak hearts before you, God. Here we are. We're yours. Say, Lord, have your way. Just pray for the work of your spirit now, the ministry of your angels to go and just touch the hearts of the shepherds in here. Touch them now, Lord. Finger the ones. Who are you pointing out? Who is this for? Who is it for, Lord? Touch them. Lord, I pray for grace now for those ones with the bitterness right now. The Lord extends grace to you in the name of Jesus. Let the Lord you, I adjure you before the Lord. Release forgiveness and release the bitterness. God, I pray for the Josephs to be reconciled to their brothers here. Release now over our hearts. There's grace available for reconciliation. I, Lord, come. I invite you to come to this altar. If you need prayer from someone, you can put your hands. I'll be glad to pray with you some others. Oh